0: You are listening to the Eyes on Conservation Podcast, episode 61. on Conservation Podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife conservation from all across the globe. I'm your host, Matt Podolsky. Today in the show, we are talking about conservation travel in South Africa. African Conservation Experience pioneered this idea about connecting conservation-minded tourists with wildlife researchers, and we are very lucky to have Ellen Shida and Martin Bornman as guests on today's show. Let's jump into the conversation. All right. I'm here with Ellen Sheeta, who is the International Marketing Manager for African Conservation Experience, as well as Martin Bornman, who is the Project and Logistics Manager in South Africa for the same organization, African Conservation Experience. How are you guys? Yeah, very well. Thanks a lot. Great. Thanks a lot for coming on to the show today. Uh, first off, I'm just going to have you tell me a little bit about the organization that you work for, African Conservation Experience. Uh, what, what's the mission and vision um. here?
1: Yeah, basically, African Conservation Experience. Um, Our mission really is to support uh, wildlife conservation projects in Southern Africa, on the one hand, and to enable international travelers to really contribute and experience to conservation firsthand. So basically, we marry the two up. Um, And thereby, we are providing both financial and practical support to worthwhile wildlife conservation in Southern Africa, uh, while obviously creating amazing experiences and a network of
0: educated and engaged ambassadors for conservation worldwide. Where did this idea come from? Were there other organizations out there sort of organizing uh, volunteers and connecting them with researchers and conservationists before uh, African Conservation Experience came about?
1: Um we like to think we Pretty much one of the first that's utterly specialized on wildlife conservation in Southern Africa. Um, there's a very broad field of volunteering organizations um, traditionally linked to the gap year market, especially um, often a bit more about uh, community volunteering, although there's quite a few that do nature volunteering as well. Um, and then you have the ecotourism side, on the other hand, you know, which has been around for quite a while, which is all about sustainable travel. Um, and personally, I think that conservation travel... Combines the two of other conservation travel is um, the, the more evolved version of it. Whereas ecotourism is about um, enjoying nature and reducing negative impact on it, conservation travel is really about actually taking it one step further and making a positive difference. And rather than just enjoying nature, being proactively engaged in conserving it.
0: So, uh, uh, where did the idea come from to sort of, like you said, take this, what seems like the next logical step beyond ecotourism?
2: So what's really unique about African conservation experience is that it wasn't born out of the tourist market. It was born out of the need um, from conservation. What a lot of people don't understand about much of Africa, which includes South Africa, is that there is very little governmental support for conservation because the government is busy dealing with um providing basic services for housing, schooling, education, um, medical on every single level. So conservation um, is sort of in the background as far as the priorities of the government go. And that's really where we came in. Um, We saw the need for really worthwhile projects that needed two things. They needed people that were educated um, to a level where they could, they didn't have to be educated within conservation, but just educated so that they understood basic biology, uh, basic science, and knew how to work with things like computers. You know, they didn't have to be specialized. They just, um, we, we forget how educated people in the Western world really are and how much they can do just from basic schooling. And then, secondly, it was also that they brought with them. Funding. So it was really the perfect model, one of the few perfect models where people were able to financially facilitate a project, as well as provide the hands and the brains to do the work. And at the same time, they got an amazing, sometimes life-changing experience out of it.
0: What did that process look like on your end, you know, early on when there was this recognition that, that there was this need um, for volunteers to, to help out with research and conservation projects in South Africa? How did that initial connection get made between tourism and conservation?
2: It partly had to do with the the change of regime in South Africa. Um, in sort of 1994, there was a change of regime and people started coming into South Africa in larger numbers. And the safari industry started developing um, into into something really big. And it was working within that that sort of scope and field that I then got involved in a a really pivotal and important elephant study. It was, it was the first time, it was the benchmark study looking at whether it was possible to use non-hormonal contraceptives effectively on elephant populations. And I was working in a, a reserve doing that research with a couple of other researchers. I was just one of a group. And out of the blue, which so often happens in research, um, the funding dried up. To the point that this really pivotal study was on the point of collapse. And with a fortuitous meeting that I made with um, someone that was based in the UK, who is actually the director of ACE, um, it actually, the realization was there. Um, he convinced me because of course, in the beginning, it was hard to really contemplate from a South African point of view. I'd always known that there were people that would probably be prepared to come and work for free and give their time to have an amazing experience. But the concept that they would come and do the work, but that they would also pay and fund the project at the same time was for me initially almost impossible to believe. Um, He convinced me that he believed that there were people that would do that. And as they say, the rest is history. Um, From then, once the model had worked. Um, That that project ran for three years and then the research came to an end. It had been proven and done. After that, to be honest, the need was just massive and still is. Um, There's a massive need for volunteering but volunteering um, or what we now call conservation travel has had a huge impact, bigger than I can really explain. Um, it's, It's being used to Buy reserves, um, safeguard entire populations of animals, um, rehabilitate rhino populations. It's having a massive impact in this country.
0: So, Ellen, t- why don't you tell me a little bit about um, your your connection with uh, African conservation experience? How, how long have you been working for the organization, and how did you first find out about what they were doing and and, and get involved? Um, I've been with ACE
1: for pretty exactly seven years now, um, and I've actually joined them from uh, a long experience in working more with the ecotourism adventure travel sector with Africa. So that was my background, and that's also how I found out about them. Um, And what did really appeal to me with that background was that it was, in my mind, a a far more constructive way of traveling um, and having always been more in the niche of ecotourism and adventure, uh, taking it even that step further and being more down the line of actually really creating something and being beneficial to the area. That was obviously really, really attractive to me. So that was what brought me to ACE. Um, And yeah, when I joined them initially, uh, I was actually predominantly involved with uh, changing the fact that it was overwhelmingly British travellers and just making it all a lot more international and broadening the scope for ACE and getting... Uh, the conservation travel and the projects that we work with known in other areas of the world as well. Um, so that's been pretty much my focus, uh, and it's been fantastic to see that actually it has become very international. And it's, uh, I think, hugely beneficial to conservation and to the projects to now have people from all over the world there.
0: You know, maybe you can sort of uh, share with us that uh, the the mindset of someone who, uh, you know, would have an interest in in participating in a project like that. You know, what what, what was so appealing to you when you first, you know, decided you wanted to join a a conservation travel uh, type experience? Uh,
1: To me, it really is the difference between uh, having a sort of passing through visitor experience, which only ever gives you a little glimpse of something, and having the chance to develop a real understanding uh, of an issue, often of a place, um, and to just feel a lot more part of it. Uh, I think I've discovered quite a while ago when I started out traveling and then morphed into actually living somewhere. Uh, even though I work and travel, I, I think I discovered one day, I don't actually like traveling that much. I like living abroad. And it really is kind of the same difference between conservation travel and a safari. It's the difference between passing through seeing something and staying somewhere and being a part of something. Uh, and that, to me, is really what the chances that you get at the project by spending all of your time at a project, being a member of it.
0: What is it about this idea of conservation travel that meets, you know, those sort of desires of what you want to get out of the experience in, in, in a different way than a traditional ecotourism experience?
1: You learn a lot more, for starters. Um, you know, you, you you learn real skills and you learn real knowledge about wildlife and the places where you're at. Uh, you're working alongside professional researchers, game rangers. You spend all day, I think in the first week at a project, you really spend all day long learning and uh, learning a role. It's almost like starting a new job, really. Um, so... And then obviously from kind of your second week onwards, you feel that you are part of it and actually working on something. You're, you're doing surveys. You're helping with, you know, the veterinary routines of looking after an animal. You have your routines at the rehabilitation centers. Uh, you, you actually have, uh, you almost experience life as a vet rehabilitation expert, field researcher, et cetera. <laughs>
0: And, you know, that that sort of brings up another question, which is, you know, how long uh, do these uh, conservation travel experiences last? I mean, are are you guys sort of able to be flexible depending on, you know, how long they were planning on, uh, you know, traveling or or visiting the area?
1: Uh, Yeah, it's quite flexible. Uh, We do ask for minimum commitment to a project of two weeks in country um because you will spend your first week just wrapping your head around what you're doing um and then you're only really becoming you know a, a contributing member of the team from your second week onwards uh, so that's the minimum stay and then people can stay as long as three months
0: if folks were to go onto your website um and and you know, take a look and, and uh, sort of develop an interest in participating in a conservation travel experience, um, you know, what would they see? What opportunities do you guys have available at the moment?
2: Our projects fall into three main categories, and there's a number of choices within each of those categories. So the first category would be veterinary projects. We work with a number of um, wildlife vets in Southern Africa, all over Southern Africa, and um, Doing really amazing work. Many of them are involved in treating rhinos that have managed to survive poaching attempts. Then, a second category would be animal care and rehabilitation centers. And for example, there, once again, we're heavily involved in the rhino situation. Um, we work with the biggest rhino orphanage and care center in southern Africa, which makes it basically the biggest rhino care center in the world. Then a third category would be conservation management projects. Um, Within the conservation management projects, we work mainly with um, people that are doing research. An example of this would be our Pinda project, which is an incredibly important reserve because it's one of the only places that is successfully protecting its rhino populations to the point that they are actually repopulating areas of Africa with their excess rhinos. So those are the, the sort of three categories. And within each of those categories, there's a number of choices for someone to choose from.
0: I, I'm curious to hear a little bit more. You mentioned um, the, the the elephant project that you were working on that sort of got you initially thinking about you know the, the the potential for you know incorporating this this conservation travel component into into the research. Um, I, I'm just curious to hear more about like what I mean. What other projects you know are you actively involved with now?
2: Um, the sort of research we're involved with now um, has moved from trying to find out whether you know it's possible to use a non-hormonal contraceptive on elephants to you know that's already been proved it's been successful so a lot of the research that we work that we're involved in now is really practically orientated which is the way we want to go it's looking at things like in a specific area how many rhinos are there how do you know if your area is saturated as far as a population group goes and once it is saturated you then have the ability to move a portion of that population into areas where those animals have become locally extinct. Sometimes for 50, 80, even 100 years, there's been an extinction. Uh, We've done this with leopard. We're doing it with rhino. We're doing it with lions. Um, So one has to know, um, do we have too many rhinos? When we think we've got too many rhinos, and we now are able to move some of those rhinos into another area um, where there aren't any, You've got to be able to answer questions like, well, do we take family groups? Do we take males first to allow them to establish territories? If we take sub-adults, should we take more males than females? All of these questions have to be answered because these animals are so precious. You can't take a chance. You need to know when you make the decision what the outcome is going to be
0: that sort of brings up at least in my mind uh this this question of management right of of management of wildlife you know here in North America you know a, a central component to our management practices for large mammals is hunting i mean how how does how does that sort of play into you know these questions that you're trying to to ask about all these really important um wildlife species in South Africa
2: yes i mean it 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 comes into it hugely South Africa is arguably um, the most important hunting destination in the world, purely because it's the only place left in Africa where you can legally hunt what they call the Big Five, which is made up of elephant, lion, leopard, buffalo, and rhino, um, which makes it a very important hunting destination. We as an organization understand... um, the part that hunting plays within conservation. But to be honest, we would like to actually be part of offering an alternative and a solution to that problem. Um, We work in numerous areas where we have been able, through conservation travellers and the funding that they bring in, to actually turn the income stream from hunting into conservation travelers um, which is something we would actually like to do in more and more areas because although it is very controversial i don't think there's a great deal of argument around things like the hunting of of of, um, your apex predators which would include lions and leopard they haven't evolved the ability to be taken out on a regular basis if that's the word one wants to use you're constantly choosing the biggest male um, on an ongoing um, period again and again and again um, there there isn't any way that that is sustainable from a conservation point of view so we're we're one of the only people that are are really trying to face that head-on and actually give a viable alternative to someone because many people that own Game ranches, game farms, and even reserves are private individuals. In fact, most of the land in South Africa that is under conservation is privately owned. And not all of those owners are wealthy individuals. Many of them are just normal people that need to make a living from their land and the animals that are on it. So for many of them, they simply haven't had any alternative but to get involved in. What is called trophy hunting? Um, we're beginning to make an impact into that field by giving people a viable alternative um, to the hunting.
0: Do you have a way for folks who live within South Africa to to, to volunteer and participate in you know these conservation travel type experiences?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we have two ways, really. We do generally, of course, it, because it's open to people from all around the world, of course, it's open to people from South Africa as well. Um, of course, we do realise sort of the normal costs involved, especially when you translate them into South African RAND, you know, can become quite prohibitive. Um, so we do offer like significantly reduced rates to South African participants to make it, Affordable for more of them to join, and then we've also um, run a, a few what we call supported placements, where actually uh, we try and every year pick a typically South African student. Um, they typically be student of nature conservation or ecology, um, and we subsidise them, i.e. we we pay for their placement to the project. We still give the project financial support while they're there, um, and we basically enable them to join a project for a few weeks, kind of almost like a scholarship program, um, so that they can have access to
0: those kind of skills and knowledge and networking opportunity as well. These volunteers, I mean, do a lot of them already have a background in conservation and research? Uh, Yeah, quite a few have a background, if not in conservation research, then in a
1: relevant field of study. So actually students or professionals of conservation or in the case of the states, actually a lot of veterinary medicine as well. um, A really big subgroup of uh, the conservation travellers that we have. So because... The projects are real working projects and they're part of a professional team. Uh, it does, of course, appeal to students looking to build careers, learn skills, learn about working in these ecosystems.
0: How about the volunteers who, who, who you know, don't have a background in, in the specific sort of you know, field of research or, or study or, uh, that, that they're volunteering with? Do you get folks who become inspired to like, become more active in conservation through, through these experiences? Uh, definitely. We, we've got quite a few people who've stayed in touch
1: with us and uh, who've told us what it's done to their career or how it's changed their career. Um, we had a recent career breaker from the UK uh, who went on the placement as a career break. She left a corporate job, um, had an amazing time and then emailed us afterwards to say, you know, by the way, I never went back into corporates. I'm now working part time for Rhino Conservation, etc. Um, we've had another, uh, volunteer from the, from Australia who's now full time involved in doing a wildlife documentary on rhino poaching and working with the Australian Rhino Project. So we actually got quite a few who, uh, let us know afterwards that it's kindled a massive interest in conservation and that they have really changed their careers as a result. And that is to us, I think that's one of the nicest outcomes we can possibly have. <laughs>
0: Are you guys still expanding? Are you still taking on more conservation projects, still looking for more researchers out there who need help?
2: I suppose the easy answer is, Matt, absolutely. Um, We're just actually starting a brand new project up in the Okavango Delta area of Botswana, um, which will be starting on the 1st of April. Um, There is is a massive need on the side. Um, the problem is actually more getting enough people to participate. Um, the need, as far as research projects go, animal care projects go, is almost limitless. Um, it's actually more a problem of getting enough people um, to be able to really support a project to the point that it changes their ability to really function
0: You know, I I am curious, just as a final note, how is the African conservation experience set up? Um, Is is it set up as as a nonprofit? I mean, how does the organization itself make money?
2: We believe in being profit-making because we're based in the African context. When a a project or conservation itself is in the basket of being dependent on donations, it is constantly vulnerable because big business is under a lot of pressure in Africa itself. And one moment they're happy to help, the next moment they aren't. And so you get this this constant facilitation of financial support, which is exactly what I experienced when I was working on that elephant project. So we actually encourage the projects to focus on being successful from a business point of view. We believe that conservation can and should be successful from a business point of view. Um, having said that, a number of the projects we do work with um, are um non-profit or NGO um, based projects um, because they have been very dependent on donations, so they have to have that classification so that people can get um, tax rebates for their donations, etc. But we ourselves um, are proud about the fact that we are actually a business um, and that many of our projects are businesses themselves. We believe that that is the future to secure conservation for the long term.
0: That that brings up you know something that is important to talk about, and I think that's important even for you know NGOs and groups that are set up as nonprofits. You know, like uh, the, the the organization that, that that I work for and help run, Wild Lens, is set up as a nonprofit. But we very much have uh, we, we have a similar perspective. You know, in that you know we don't we can't be reliant on. Donations on people just giving us money—that you know what we're trying to accomplish is is only going to succeed if um, if it's a good business model, right? <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah I, I definitely um, appreciate that perspective.
2: The other thing that's really important from that perspective, especially in a place like South Africa, um, it's because this is not the government here doesn't give a great deal of support because it can't to its citizens. So people have to provide for themselves into the future um, very well. Otherwise, they can be in genuine trouble. And in conservation, because it's under, we're under so much pressure and it's under so much threat worldwide um, and in Africa, so we need clever, motivated people. And the truth is that if people can't make a decent living from conservation – you actually don't – it's almost repellent. You don't get those sort of people coming in, and we need those sort of people to come into conservation because they are the ones that are going to make a real difference. So it actually is important that you can offer people uh, a business model where they can have a successful career in this to get the right people involved. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
2: We really are transparent. We're not, we're, we, don't, we try really hard. We don't feel that there's anything that we do that needs to be hidden whatsoever.
0: Well, thanks a lot to both of you, Ellen and Martin. It's been a lot of fun chatting with you guys. I, I actually am, am going to dig into your website and and, and check out some of these <laughs> options uh, in in greater detail because m- my wife and I have actually been contemplating a, a trip to South Africa. My wife has a, a good friend who who lives in South Africa, and we've been contemplating uh, doing a trip over there. And if we do. I definitely want to have a component of that be a conservation travel experience. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna check out your uh, your programs Um oh fantastic, with some great detail and um, you know maybe at some point in the not too distant future um, we can have a more active uh, collaboration. <laughs> I think that would be a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, if you do make All it right. over, I'll be here waiting.
0: Fantastic. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, thanks a lot to both of you. Thanks for the um, opportunity, Matt. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. All right, that was our conversation with Ellen Sheeta and Martin Bornman from African Conservation Experience. What a fascinating perspective on how wildlife conservation efforts are run in South Africa. It's certainly very cool to learn about the huge positive impact that conservation travel is having on wildlife research and rehabilitation in this region of the world. It's also quite clear that this organization, African Conservation Experience, places a high priority on connecting local communities with the wildlife and ecosystems that surround them. This is critically important for all conservation projects, and it's very good to hear that this group is providing opportunities for local community members to participate in these projects. And I wasn't lying when I said that I have an interest in participating in a conservation travel experience myself. I can't imagine a better way to experience South Africa's amazing wildlife, and I would encourage others to, to check out the website for African Conservation Experience and see if there are any projects that uh, strike your fancy. You can check out the website at conservationafrica.net, and we'll throw that link up on the show notes page for this episode, which you can find at wildlensinc.org slash EOC61. This episode was produced by myself, your host, Matt Podolsky. Our theme music is by The Humanoids.